You're listening to Signal to Noise, part of the ProSound Web Podcast Network, proudly brought to you this week by the following sponsors. Allen and Heath, introducing their new CQ series, a trio of compact digital mixers for musicians, bands, audio engineers, home producers, small venues, and installers that puts ease of use and speed of setup at the heart of the user experience. RCF, who has just unveiled their new TT Plus audio brand, including the high-performance GTX series line arrays and the GTS 29 subwoofer. Be sure to check it out at rcf-usa.com. That's rcf-usa.com. I wish I Hey, welcome to another episode of Signal to Noise. I'm your co-host, Andy Levis. With me in the virtual box next to mine, as always, is Sean Walker. What's up, Sean? What's up, dog? How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm recovering. I slept in today because I... You know how I swore I wasn't going to do those long days and I'm getting too yeah, old for that shit? totally. But you yeah. did it, didn't you? I, I was doing a load-in day that was a little bit long. I was supposed to just do a late night, like 9 p.m. to midnight-ish loadout. Okay. And halfway through the day, I got a, are you available all day tomorrow? Right. So it was at uh, at uh, the Appel Room at Jazz at Lincoln Center here in New York, the American Heart Association's annual Red Dress Gala concert. Uh, and it was uh, Mickey Guyton was the one of the performers, and then the headliner was Demi Lovato. Oh, cool, dude. Um, yeah, so helped load that in, set up, did some comm programming the one day, and then... Dealt with the like the red carpet step and repeat reception area, you know, DJ cool, stage and like overflow feed. So, you know, a lot of the day was about lip sync, <laughs> keeping the video wall synced with the image and for sure. Didn't you have it. like a giant banner in front of you or something though that was messing oh, with your I was, I was so yeah, the mixed position in the atrium there is above where the step and repeat was. So I'm trying to watch the video wall to get lip sync going with a row of Ari Sky panels at full blast right in my face for all the press. It was, right, dude. It's like I think it's thin close enough. Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So give me give me a hard consonant again and a, oh, and then now these zoomed out. I can't tell. Totally, dude. Really, any of those events, lip sync is like the bane of my existence. Totally. And it depends on what desk you're on, too, because like yep. the Yamaha desk make it really easy because they'll do it by frames, and so you can just click through frames. You're like, close, good, go, no, nope. yep. okay, cool. But you're like some other desks are just milliseconds, and you're like, get your scroll wheel to death on trying to catch yep. up. You're like, ah! <laughs> yeah. All right, so what, what have you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Uh, today has just been sales meetings all day with clients and stuff and then I raced back here to meet you guys to do this it's it's uh, been pretty pretty mundane as far as the tech goes today we've been working through oh, new gotta, tech packages trying to make, make it easier money. for our clients to buy from us and trying to like you know not get in our own way so much as most of us production companies do whether we realize it or not that's so a big just, one yeah dude it's just been some nerd business shit that nobody really cares about but me <laughs> Yeah, I, I gotta scribble that down. We should we could we could easily do a whole episode on how to not get in your own way. Totally. Yeah, that's note note to note to self, note to Sean. Um, yeah, right. Speaking of not getting in our own way, why don't we stop uh, our our BSing and let's introduce this week's guest? Yeah, dude. So uh, with us today is Mark Allen, uh, who among other things is a uh, front of house mixer for Jose Feliciano, who wrote Felice Navidad, well known for his 
cover of uh, Light My Fire. Mark is also the TD and uh, lead audio at a venue in Connecticut. He's worked for SIR and their studios for years. Uh, I'll, I'll stop talking about him, though. And Mark, why don't you uh, fill He's in any... He's also president of the Cool Beard Club. Hey. That, that he is. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude. Thanks for Absolutely. coming. Man, I appreciate it. Yeah, so why don't you give us a little bit of... I know I kind of gave the, gave the highlights, but you want to give us a little bit of your, your origin story before we dig in? Sure. So, uh, like many guys, I was started as a musician trying to find a way to make a living. And I started working in rock clubs in New York City. And I worked for a whole bunch of places in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Limelight, Palladium, all the kind of cool nightclubs of the day. And uh, CBJB, uh, just a whole bunch of places. And it was like, it's looking back, it's like a blur of all the I was going to say, those are a lot of places that I'm surprised you can remember them all. I remember the places, and I remember some of the shows. All right. I was going to say, remember the places, but not the nights, right? I do. (laughs) And I kind of got lucky because I had a friend in college who was like, you know, in protecting his gig, he was like, I need somebody to work on the nights that I don't want to work. So he got me to do, and he was like kind of teaching me by rote. But he wanted to work the cool rock nights. And put me on doing like the open jams and the jazz R&B nights. But then I met some really cool people and really, really great musicians. And, you know, I just started working my way. Uh, I got lucky and around 93, I became a technician with SIR Studios in New York City. And uh, it was kind of like, I don't know, an incredible experience because I got to work close up with incredible artists that, you know, in the beginning I would like put the names on my resume. And then after a while I was like, nobody's ever going to believe this. So it just became a one line item on my resume. But, you know, I worked with legendary artists up close and personal and it was wonderful experience. So is that line uh, item now just awesome? Like who are your awesome. The awesome ones? The awesome. Good talks you out there? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> truly. truly. Any particular truly highlights indeed. stand out? Well, I got to work with a Beatle. I got to work with Ringo Starr. Oh, and, nice. uh, and I did uh, One Stone, Charlie Watts, and with his ja- Charlie Watts jazz band. And that was amazing. Dude, how cool. Um, I did a day, uh, two days teching for Aerosmith. And it was like, I'll never forget, there was one day, I was using like an old Soundcraft analog board and uh, the reverb, uh, the send on the the aux was just like cracked open just slightly, sending it into Steven Tyler's wedges. And he's telling me to turn the reverb off in the wedges. And it looked, visually looked like it was off. And I'm like, there's no reverb there. So finally he called me over. He's like, I'm standing next to him. And it, he's like, he's like, check it out. And he like talks in the wedge and there's reverb there. And he says, you hear that? And I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, you don't want that? <laughs> I just said that. He thought I was, I don't think he knew if I was fucking with him. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to curse on this podcast. I don't go for it. You know, oh, yeah, dude. I was just like, I kind of just like said it like, oh, you don't want that. Okay. And then I went back <laughs> and I looked at the, the console to like, what's wrong with me? And I realized it was just slightly cracked oh, open. <laughs> and I killed that. So, But it was like one of the moments where I was just like, crapping my pants, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, totally. I, 
I had one of those recently, not anybody near Steven's caliber, but a DJ came into a setup that like I had thrown together the DJ rig real quick, like just what came from actually from SIR rentals, like set it up, like just patched it all together. And, you know, particularly with DJs, you know, they're going to come in, whatever you do is going to be wrong and they want it different. So it's mostly just get it out, get it connected some way that they stand a chance of using it. And then they're going to rearrange everything anyway. And this DJ comes in and and just calls me, you know, is introduced to me as the sound engineer and calls me over and is like, did you set this up? And I thought for a second, and I saw the look behind it and was, and was, I neither answered yes nor no. I said, I'm the one who's here to fix it. What do you need? What's wrong? <laughs> and we went from there and we're fine. I'm like, I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. Might have been me, but <laughs> yeah, let's just pivot from there and not focus on, on blame. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not assign blame here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so th- that day just ended with uh, the drummer left, and Steven Tyler played drums, and they just jammed on blues songs for the rest of the day. And that was like a day I'll never forget. Did but that was just one day in their life that they've long since forgotten. But for me, it'll never die. Dude, how cool. Yeah. And, and dude, a day with a Beatle, how rad is that? It was incredible. You know, It like, was incredible. How cool is that? Yeah, I you know I was really lucky. I you know, I worked with some of my idols. Yeah, dude, yeah. and some of some of those, like, some of those people are like the coolest cats to hang with for a bit, and then, like, like you said, what a cool memory for you or for us, and then and they're like, yeah, 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 cool. I'm off to the next thing. <laughs> Honestly, because there's always that don't meet your heroes. And, like, mind you, you can meet a hero for an hour and they can completely fuck it up. But, like, if you get there on a good day, like, you've got that good day and then you don't have to worry about, like, there's no chance for seeing the bad day. Just leave and go on. And that's kind of awesome. What's cool is I still work with a lot of guys from the, for those years. Like, I'm part of a company in Norwalk, Connecticut called Factory Underground Studio. It's a recording studio uh, and video production company. And the owner of Factory Underground now was my intern in 1996. Oh, dude, cool. At, at SIR. So uh, I still work with a lot of those same guys. You know, that's how it rolls. You know, you work with the people you know and you trust. Dude, that goes back to our common saying we got here, which is don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Exactly yeah, right. Because yeah. you never know like where somebody's going to be or where it's going to, you know what I mean? Like, it's astounding how many times that that turns into a career changer or a good gig or something just by being nice to somebody, you know? Well, you know, in business, everybody talks about ROI, which is like, what is the return on my investment, you know? But I met this guy, is like, a, I met him once, but he, I would say he's a mentor, but I only met him one time. But he said that um, there's something called ROR, which is return on relationship. And he said that you're always going to make you're always going to get more from a, a long-term relationship than from any single investment. And I've always 100%. believed that, and I've always espoused that, and I think that it just really comes down to don't be a dick and be cool. and Totally. You know. Totally. Yeah, Do your job like, to the best of your ability and be cool to be around to the best of your ability. you know? you got to be grateful. you got to show appreciation. you got to say thank you, and you got to appreciate people's time. And that's how it was with Andy. Like, when I met you... Uh, at the Perlman, you know, uh, you know, I try to come in very laid back and try to just be really, you know, not waste people's time and do what I got to do and totally. allow you to do what you have to do. And that was like, that was a series of like, f- I think five nights worth of shows where it was like, I was mixing lots of the acts that came in 
and then a handful brought their own engineers. And uh, and that night you were there, there were two of you that came in. And yeah, likewise, it's like from the other end, it's trying to, I both need to make sure I have what I need for all the other acts on the show, but also making sure you have what you need and that, yeah, that I'm not, and I think we're going to dig into this a little more as we get going, but yeah, making sure you have what you need and that everybody has a good day. Exactly right. And I mean, exactly the, right. the the fact that you mentioned that like the, the person who owns that studio was your former intern too reminds me of that. Like it's such a cliche, but the be careful whose butt you kick on the way up the ladder because that might be the butt you have to kiss on the way back down. And you Dude, never totally. know. I mean, I had that too. The the theater at Lincoln Center that I worked at for a few years, uh, about like I guess like five or six years. Wow, I feel old. Um, <laughs> the Jay, who was my boss there and is still a good friend was the union apprentice at the rental shop. I got my card. I was the apprentice, and then Jay was the apprentice after me. And then fast forward a bunch of years, uh, he's there, the boss at a at a theater in town, and I needed a job, and they needed a new sound person. And so now my former apprentice was my boss. Totally. Yeah. Dude, let me ask you, while we're, while we're on the like venue and touring guy and stuff, like, do you guys how, how do you how do you look at that situation? Right, I, I own a sound company here, so I I am often on the vendor side where I got touring acts coming through or whatever, and I love that because I just take notes, man. I'm like, hey, man, like, how am I going to do this better? How am I going to you know improve mm. my craft or whatever? And usually everybody is like, usually they're super cool, and we're all we're all gear nerds, man. We're all excited to like show our tips and tricks for the most part. So they're like, oh, dude, here's how I do this, here's how I do that, and you're like, oh yeah, mm-hmm, scribbling notes yeah. and stuff like. But I totally have run into people that were not into that or had a very different thing. Like, do you guys see a lot of, you, you know, you both probably see both sides. Like, what are your thoughts on how to handle some of those situations if they're maybe not as cool as they could be or, you know, overcome some of those hurdles? Well, you know what? I remember when I was younger, you know, being a guitarist, you know, everybody is very competitive. And you're also really trying to get ahead in your career. And there's always that sense of, I could do that better. But as I think as you get older, you start to realize that, you know, we're all in it together and we all have a job to do and we'll just have to work together. And it's not that I'm doing it better. I'm just trying to have a consistent mix from day to day. And, uh, and I'm also servicing an artist and uh, trying to give them my best each day. And so it, it's not a matter of, am I mixing it better than you or are you mixing it better than me? It's a matter of, you know, we're just doing the job that we have to do and do the best we can and, um, and we'll work together. Totally. Yeah, that's Andy, a, what about you? You spend a lot of time on, on both sides. What are your thoughts? I, I do, and it's we were we were. I know Mark and I uh, were talking about this a little uh, before we started recording. That it's there's a weird tension because like when I'm working with an artist or when I'm friends with an artist, I'm always gonna vouch, gonna not vouch. Uh, I've lost the word, but I'm always gonna advocate. Advocate. I'm always gonna advocate for them having an engineer who knows their music knows what they want, knows what they need, knows what compromises can be made or not. But then when you're on the house end, there's that natural monkey brain that is the house engineer, particularly on a show where you're mixing five of six acts. When that six act comes in with an artist, you're like, well, why don't they trust me to do it? And it's like, of course they don't. They don't know you. 
and that's fine. <laughs> and it's nothing. Per- it's generally nothing personally about you, and it's not even necessarily an assumption about what you can or can't do. It's simply you don't know their music. You know, you don't know them. And and there's nothing. And yeah, I've learned. Like I've been watching like Mark that night. Like I picked some things in, up from Mark. I know uh, Mark knew, knew like the CL and QL as well, and didn't know the Revage. So I think I was able to show him a couple. You know the new cool tricks in the Revage. Um, we had. I think I've actually talked about the other act that was on that night. Had you know had a DI guitar that she'd been fighting with forever and just at one point just like kind of sighed and just turned to me and like a commiserating of like i can't ever get this guitar to not sound like a di you pulled that ryan's trick didn't you uh uh-huh did indeed (laughs) in fact i had it saved as a priest and i was like can i try something since we're at soundcheck and she's like yeah go for it so i you know my fingers flew around it because at that point i'd been doing so many like quick di's over the days that i had it all saved and could do it on autopilot and Popped in that little bit of like a teeny tiny room reverb at like thirty percent right on the channel, mm-hmm. you know. Turned it on and it opened up and sounded like a guitar again. And she just turned to me and was like, "What did you just do?" And I was you like, hit the magic like, button. Yeah, I'm like, I can't do credit for it, but yeah, here, try that. Try this next time. And and Ryan made me look like a hero, as as Ryan oh so often does. Mm. Um, and yeah, it goes both ways. Dude, but totally. Well, you know, a lot of times the the house engineer will do a better job because he knows the room, knows, works on that console every single day. Uh-huh. And, uh, but it's just that from the artist's point of view, the, their sound person is like their security blanket. They uh-huh. want to, they want to ha- know that you're at front of house because they're on stage and there are so many uncertainties to their situation that they trust, they have they maybe have a better performance because they know that you're there watching their back. And I think that that goes hand in hand um, in, that, in that terms of that relationship. So I think that, it's, and, and it's also, yeah, you might do a better job. It's okay. I, I have no issues with that. For me, it's a matter of I'm trying to give the artist a consistent uh-huh. quality sound each and every show. And you're striving for that consistency. So it's really not about, like, you might do a better job or you might do a different job. Um, but it's just a matter of, you know, I'm trying to, you know, you know I, I don't know if I'm <laughs> saying yeah, what I'm saying. No, right, no, I'm, I'm getting it. And that's exactly it. And it's, and there may be days where literally I'm doing exa- as the artist engineer, doing exactly what the house person would. But because whether it's because I've got that shorthand language with the artist that they don't have to ask for it, they can just give me the the evil eye, and I know what the evil eye means. Or they can give me the wink, and I'm like, okay, we're leaning into that today. Got it. That they're comfortable, and sometimes it's just like I may not do anything, or I may do nothing different from what anybody else you know, with half a clue in that situation would do. But because they know me and have that trust, they're more confident in it. Exactly. I look at that show that we did together, and Jose Feliciano, when we tour, he has a full percussion rig, you know, his his drummer, who's his son, bass, and keyboards, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a big band. But that day when I worked with you, it was just supposed to be Jose performing solo, and then he said, no, I want to have my sons come. And it was, so it was acoustic guitar, drummer, and bass. Yep. I mean, there's not a lot. <laughs> there's yeah. not a lot of mixing that goes in with that. You're you're basically trying to get guitar and vocal, 
loud and clear, not have the drums be too loud, and uh, and just the bass does what it does. You know what I mean? It's not like mixing an orchestra. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's a small amount, and you you're you're really focused on the lead singer, his guitar. He's the star of the show. He's what people are coming to hear. They don't not coming to they're not paying to hear the drums, they're not paying to hear the bass, they're paying to hear Jose Feliciano sing and play guitar. So that's what the focus is. And truthfully, I didn't need to be there. He didn't really you would have done a fine job and everything would have been great. Jose wanted me there because, you know, I've been working with him a long time. Uh, you know, he trusts me. And then I had the opportunity to come see the Perlman and see what you guys yep. are doing and see this. <laughs> Beautiful new venue, so of course I'm like, yes, I have yeah, to be there. <laughs> uh, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, there's there's times for both, and like there were other acts on on that billy that week that had artists come. That it was honestly there's enough, you know, like depth to like the size of their band or what they're doing. That it absolutely was. It, they they needed somebody who knew what was coming and knew when that player who doesn't solo for the entire show is suddenly going to take a whale and solo. That like would I as the house engineer catch it? Absolutely, but I might it might take me a beat or two to be like, oh, oh, that one's soloing now, shit. Mm. Um, and those little things help. And I mean, I'll say like one thing I appreciate about you, Mark, is Mark brings a delightfully, like just the right amount of old school approach to like how he dials something in on on a new system. Like we had a tuned rig and I was like, do you want to hear? Is there something you want to listen to? Like, what do you want for effects? And Mark was like, just plug in a 58 and hand it to me and just give me three minutes. And then he has there and dialed in some reverbs, dialed in some stuff and it sounded fucking fantastic yeah uh, at the end of the day if you could make a uh, a vocal sound good and you know what your lead singer is going to do that that's that's a great start you totally know? totally yeah. i mean everybody knows what the human voice is supposed to sound like but nobody's been able to agree on a great guitar well, my human voice decades, sucks you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> but like you know we all instantly recognize if the voice sounds whack right Whereas, like, for sure, if the if the drums are different than we like, that's a much bigger gray area or sliding scale. Or if the guitars are different than we like or something, you know, it's not immediately like that's messed up. It's more like, oh man, I'm just not really digging the guitar tone. You know what I mean? But like, right. if the voice sounds hollow or messed up somehow, we're like, something's wrong with that voice. And so it's a real, it's a smart place to start to make sure that the vocal is killing, and then everything else is like, ah, oh, I can sort that out. You know. Yeah, because you can you can set your gain on your vocal. You can kind of make sure that your compression's right, and just just kind of know your starting point, and know you're in a good spot to start. And um, totally, everything else you can kind of mix on the fly. Yeah. So, like on that subject, which we sort of answered, but maybe to dig slightly deeper into that on the on the signal noise Discord this week, there's a thread that had started on kind of the order and like method of like dialing in your mix and like where do you start how do you build it so i think we kind of established that to a point you know uh you know there's a case for starting with the vocal uh like where where do you go well sometimes i start with the music but uh i I don't like steely dan so uh i had to find (laughs) music that i liked uh lately i've been using the chick korea electric album uh there's a couple of tracks on that i really dig and i got that uh, I got that from a, another, actually the audio engineer I told you about who I thought would be great for your podcast. name is Abbott Finkel. I got that from him. Uh, that's like, I was hearing it on his gigs. I was, I was always <laughs> like, ah, this is good, man. So I use that. Um, but that's just a quick reference to me. It kind of tells me that all the components are working and the system sounds like 
it's got as much lows and mids as it needs to have, and then I then I go to my vocal, and I set up my vocal gain, set up my basic effects, and then I'm just I'm off to the races at that point. And then, like once you're into sound check, like do you have a pretty like? Do I know some folks are like I, every instrument I want to go, I want to get the drums first, then the bass, then build around that. Some folks are like just play and I'll build in the pieces around that. Uh, what, what's your general vibe there? Well, I mean, I would love to start with the vocals, except that your vocalist is usually the last to come. Right? Every damn time. So that's why <laughs> I that's why I start with my voice in using the same mic that the singer uses, and I like to have it in a channel so I can sort of like set it up for my voice and then copy it over to his channel. And then I'll start, then I'll go to the drums and do the other instruments. Uh, but for me, if I could vocal every time, that would be my choice. I like to build around that. I, to me, it's about, like I said, people are there to hear the vocals and hear the, hear the song. Um, they're not here to hear, there to hear the bass drum, really. Speak for yourself, dude. Symphony oh, of I kick know. drum. Bro. Well, my, my bass drum is drum. amazing, of yeah. course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my man. bass drums speak for themselves. That's right, dude. I don't need no vocal. I got symphony of kick drum. <laughs> oh man, I finally, I, I've, I've finally, if not gotten to the point where I don't think my snare sucks, I'm at least like complacent with my snare <laughs> but yeah the the eternal journey we talked on our holiday episode about like i'm like deep down the rabbit hole of like second guessing every choice i make on kick drum mm. mic and one of these days i'll i'll maybe be almost happy with it oh <laughs> uh, dude and the did the hard part uh you know I'll, in a rare vulnerable moment for me here the hard part about doing what we do andy is we're talking to a bunch of people that let's be honest are fucking way better than me i won't speak about you but like our audience is way better at this than I am. And so the imposter syndrome kicks in. We're like, oh man, here's how I do this. Shit, I should have shut up and let somebody tell me oh. how to do this. You know? <laughs> Dude. I should just use my two ears and one mouth in that proportion, you know? And my main qualification for being here right now is that I was too stupid to say no. Right? <laughs> yeah. Although that's like, you're talking about me, right? <laughs> it's because we should have stayed in college. Yeah, right. I, I did. What's my excuse? Oh. <laughs> Um, well, now you can know. go to school for this, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I went to school for theater, so that that to make make of that judgment what you will. <laughs> you know, we were going to talk to you about that, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's like twenty something years too late for that intervention. Yeah, right. <laughs> for sure. Um, so b- before we veer on to other things, like talking and Mark about the that like house guest engineer relationship. Uh, and from either side, because again, you you kind of work on both sides of it. And, yeah. Um, how, have you come up with any tricks or tips, or how, when you get somebody who doesn't have that good attitude and comes in more adversarial? Any any advice you've come up with for trying to make the best out of that? Well, for me, it's a matter of I've been in that situ- the other side of it so many times where I didn't have a guy who was that helpful. Or sometimes you get a guy who's so overly helpful that he wants to tell you everything that the console can do and 10 ways of doing every single thing. And I'm just like, I just want to do what I need to do. And, you know, just... And so from having experienced both types of guys, for me as a house guy, I just want to help that guy as much 
I need to help him. I just want to be the best that I can be for him so that he can do his job. And then during the show, I don't disappear. I stay there. I stay with him. Uh, so in case he needs anything uh, or any assistance, I'm there. I've experienced the other side of it. When um, I had a guy who was a house guy who was my friend. Uh, he was trying to give me the respect to stay out of my way. And then during a show, I needed him and he wasn't there. So, uh, you know, no, no disrespect to him, but I need, if, if you need somebody, they need to be there. And so I totally. try to, I try to be that guy. I try to be there. I try to help you as much as, as you need and not be in your way at the same time. Would you say and, that that role of the house engineer when they've got a, another engineer coming through is a little bit of a, like a little bit of a consultant and a little bit of an order taker? Like not like you're getting direction, but like, what do you need? How can I help you? What can I get for you? What, you know, how do you, how can I help you do your job better rather than like, here's the nine things you have to do on this console. But you're like, yeah, man, I, it's not my first rodeo on a desk. What I needed to know is how to send on this particular desk that I haven't worked yeah, on before. And, oh, I got it. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you were talking that, about with the Ravage, right, Andy? You know? Yeah, and that's a particular thing that like Mark brought up that that week too is opening week in a venue. And and I was I'd done other shows on a Ravage before, but that was like the first month or so I got really in depth to the console. And being the kind of nerd that everybody listening knows I am, my natural tendency is to want to be that that person who's like, look at all the things it can do. And it was a quick learning curve of figuring out like that's not going to help anybody because we don't have time for that shit. And then the corollary to that is being attentive and being engaged enough to know when and sense when they're struggling and they're about to be struggling for something or need something and be like, either like I, I will with an engineer if I know it's going to be safe. I, I can't remember this happened with you or not, Mark, but I'll particularly on a console like that that's got multiple bays, I'll see what, you, what I think they're about to reach her in a second and I'll go and pop up the screen they need and just wait till there's a moment to be like, if you need it and just point at the screen, you know, and either let them run with it or just tell me what you need. And mm. I, I mean, Mark can spill the crap and tell you if I, if I, if I drop the ball on that or not, but I, I actually, we're just here today, Andy, to tell you that you're, you're fired, bro. That, that was, <laughs> you were, you were trying to mix his show for him and we had to go this whole thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we, we already had this talk okay <laughs> no but that's a, that's a good thing because like mark you're a pretty ripping qlcl engineer like you know yamaha pretty well right but the revage is just a little different so it was yeah it wasn't like how do i operate console it was like what is this thing doing with this touchscreen that the other ones aren't doing even though it's the yeah. same ecosystem right well the workflow of the of the yamahas are all fairly consistent i mean going back to the m7cl which was really great in its time and still is you know, in, in many ways. I mean, the fact that you have every fader on one level is is, is so cool. Dude, but totally. the workflow is the same. It kind of feels the same. The Revage feels like that to me. It just does maybe some cooler stuff, but the, the basic heart of it is the same, and, it, and that's how it feels to me. Yeah, and that's... It feels that's like home. Of, yeah, that's one of the things I like about them is that if you know your way around a CL or a QL, 95% of the things are exactly in the place where you expect them. And most of the rest of them are close enough that with a minute of poking around, you're like, it's not, oh, I bet it's, yep, there it is. Yeah. They didn't then, reinvent the freaking wheel, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, and they've they've added new ways and faster ways to do certain things. Or like for the EQ, they've brought in the way on the iPad app, you can like 
slide your finger around and you know pinch you know to change the cue they've brought that to certain screens in the EQ so like mm. as the house engineer if i see somebody who doesn't know that digging for EQ a lot and hunting around and trying to struggling to like find the right knob to grab on the fly then i might point out to them like hey pop it into the big view and you can just do the ipad thing on it and you know, there, there's a moment to offer that trick up, and there's a moment to be like, "Yeah, they're fine." They're, even if they're not doing it the fastest way, they're doing it in a way that works, and that's what's going to be fastest in the moment for them. Mm. Yeah. Well, they have come a long way since the LS9. <laughs> I, I will say that they ha- they did invent the wheel from that point. You know, re- <laughs> literally, the wheel. literally the wheel. The, the, the amount of time you spent scrolling on that wheel, holy cow! You know yeah. what? You know what? I have to remind myself. An LS9 isn't every time I'm on an LS9. X32, a touchscreen. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's exactly right. That's right. It looks exactly the same as the M7. And then you just yeah, you go to tap it. and you're like, stop. <laughs> no, how many it. times you poked that with a Sharpie? You were like, Kink. damn it. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know what it is? Is analog days you could basically mix with your eyes closed and just use your ears. And I think that in the digital age, we just started mixing with our eyes a lot. Uh-huh. And I feel like, you know, when you have a console that f- it just has a certain feel to it where you know where everything is and everything is kind of where you expect it to be, then you can really just go back to using your ears more and not, you know, just not l- in constantly looking for something. That's like I can get into the weeds of like QL versus CL, but... If you're in the area where they overlap, I'm always going to want a CL because I can reach for an EQ knob and not have to think about what EQ band I'm reaching for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I mean, that has been a thing on the Ravage as I've spent more time on it. There are times where it is easier to hunt and pinch because without going between knobs, I can use three fingers and get the EQ I need. But it is easy to fall into that trap, particularly when you turn the RTE graph on behind the EQ of, of, mm mixing with your eyes and and there's times where it's just forcing yourself to like I'm not going to tap into the EQ screen I'm just going to use the knobs there's 12 knobs there I know what they all do I know which one I need just grab it and go and you kind of have to step back and remind yourself about that sometimes mm, for Andy, sure what, what is it like being smart enough to know there's two ways to do something on a console because I only ever have to bash my head against the desk until it fucking operates <laughs> <laughs> I only know how to use the knobs, bro. Like, I didn't know there was other ways to do shit. Unfortunately, I'm cursed enough to know that there's actually about four ways, technically maybe five. <laughs> yeah, no, I, got a, I don't got the brain power for that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing, and that's what I was saying before, particularly as as the local, whether engineer, front of house tech, console tech, whatever, with a visiting engineer who's not familiar with the console, is knowing when to point out the other way and when it doesn't fucking matter. Right. Yeah. Um, All right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there, I mean, Mark, is there anything else on like that, subjectively, those relationships you think we haven't touched on that you want to throw out to folks or warnings, advice before we, before we pivot other directions? Um, so I, I just, I can't think of any other advice uh, other than just employing some basic empathy and trying to understand, look at where the, the guy is who's in the position he's in as the house guy, look at everything he's dealing with. Like in that context, that day when I met you, you were dealing with a whole lot of stuff, you know? And I was with one artist. I had a very specific, you know, reason for being there, but you had a lot of things going on. So that's where I I tried to come in and not be, uh, you know, too demanding and just try to be like, 
I try to be cool with you and understand where you're at and you know and at the same time try to get done what I need to get done. Yeah, and and from the opposite side on that, it's the yeah, I'm juggling a lot, but part of one of the things like I'm juggling that week is as much advance as I have from everybody what everybody needs or if I don't have an advance what an average engineer is going to walk in and, and feel comfortable getting quick up and running and that may be very different from what I'm setting up with for the other five acts I've got to do because of how I work. And, you know, like I've like, y'all know me by now. Like I, I can get nerdy and I'll, I'll do some like tricks and extra shit to like make my life easier. But I know that's, if you're not familiar with how that's set up, it's not going to work for you. So a big thing there is making sure that while I've got those creature comforts I need, I'm also setting it up so that somebody else could come in and could make their show happen without having to get into the weeds of that. I mean, that's a that's a beautiful thing on that console particularly is there's like DSP power and, and mix sense for days. So mm-hmm. I can do whatever esoteric combinations of like reverbs and delays and harmonizers I want. But then I can also just have a few buses that are like, here's your hall, here's your plate, here's your room, you know, here's an eventide if you want it. Go to town and let me know, you know, here's an echo. Let me know if you need anything else. Change anything you want. Those are yours. Dude. Have you guys been to Sony Hall in New York City? I have not, no. Well, it's it's a beautiful venue. It's a beautiful venue. It's in the, uh, I forgot what hotel it's in, but it's it's a ballroom of an old hotel, and it's a beautiful venue. And I think they have a Ravage in there, too. Uh, But what's interesting about that venue is that you can kind of mix the whole venue like you're in surround, where you can mix things in a panning forward and back as well as left to right. And, yeah, cool. and you can kind of set up your panning on a grid where you can look at this computer and be like, okay, I'm going to push this hi-hat back in the mix and I can bring this acoustic guitar forward in the mix and all this stuff. Dude, cool. It's really cool, right? But for me, as a visiting sound engineer walking in, my expectation was that I'd never have ever in my life mixed on anything like that. And that's not a situation I want to be in to learn how to do that with my artists that's, you know, bringing me on tour with them. So uh, I sat there for about 15 minutes listening to everything this thing could do. And then I just was like, yeah, this is not a good time and place for me to really grasp this. So I asked the guy, can this mix... Can, can can you set this up in stereo? He was like, oh, sure, no problem. <laughs> and it was like, took him two seconds in his laptop to change it over to a conventional stereo system. And then I had a great day. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I was like, there were so many things that this system could do, but it was just beyond my ability to really uh, take note of, employ, and, you know, p- develop into my mix in the context of you know, the situation I was in. So, um you know, I think that's an example of where you just have to do the job you have to do and you try to do it the best you can. And sometimes that means not using every trick in the book that's available, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, this is a career in a field where it's not just knowing what to do, it's sometimes knowing what not to do or when not to do it. Right. There you go. Um, yeah, so we, we, in, in all of this, we've mentioned that, uh, that your steady artist you work with is Jose. Uh, 
Why don't we like dig into that a little bit? Like, how did how did that come to be? Because I mean, Jose's had a career spanning decades and decades, and you've been with him for what, like, around like like seven, eight years ish, something like that. Uh, it was before COVID by a couple of years. Um, yeah, I got really. It's really like luck. Really, is what it comes down to. Um, I had a guy who was an intern for me at my stu- at the recording studio, and uh, he worked with Jose's daughter at, at, a, at a place in our city, like a museum. And it was just a conversation over lunch asking, do you know any audio engineers? My dad is looking for one. And he was like, yeah, I got one guy. That's it. And uh, Jonathan, his, uh, Jose's son, called me on the phone, and we had a great talk. And um, they're kind of like a family business. You know, it's uh, his wife is part of the management team, and his son is the drummer, and his his tour manager, essentially. And, Dude, how uh, cool. Now, and now his other son is a bass player. And uh, right away, from the very beginning, I, I was there really, the first gig I did was at uh, Lehman Center in the Bronx, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think we did Sony Hall. And I was there subbing for a guy who was, his wife was having a baby, I guess, or something. And uh, so after the second gig, I was like shaking her hands and saying, thank you so much for having me here and appreciate it so much. And he was like, oh, no, oh, no, you're with us now. <laughs> it's the, the Hotel California. <laughs> yeah. They were like, welcome no, to no. Thunderdome, dog. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it was like, oh, man, it's been great because, well, Jose's 70, now he's 78 years old. And he only tours, you know, he maybe does maybe 30 to 40 gigs a year. And for me, having a house gig and my daytime business in the studio world, um, that's just enough for me to go out and have fun and see the world and, 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 and mix great music, but without having worrying about going away for six weeks, eight, eight weeks at a time like I used to do. And, of course, you, we know how disruptive that can be to the rest of your life, you know. I don't totally. have that. Especially so, since they're having more responsibilities at home, whether that's businesses or, you know, significant personal. others and children and stuff. I mean, like, I used to do it. I used to, t- I would be away for two months at a time and uh, make great money when you were touring and then come home and be sitting around for a month. And it was always like feast or famine, which you guys can understand that. Yeah. Uh, just trying not to blow all the money you just made. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> totally. exactly. And, uh, you know, after, so now I don't have that, thank God. You know, now I uh, I work enough to uh, to stay busy. And between all three of my jobs, essentially, I, I I work pretty much all the time. But I love it. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm. I'd say I'm a workaholic. Uh, I work constantly, but I love what I do, so it doesn't feel like work. Same. You know, although and sometimes when, it feels like work when you're just getting your ass handed to you. But for the most part, true. I'm with you. <laughs> that's true. With Jose, it's great because. Uh, like, we went to Israel, played two shows in Israel. Dude, how uh, cool. And then March will be in South America for, like, uh, 10 days. Oh, that's and, awesome, uh, dude. And uh, the, the, that's, that's, inc- that's a blessing. I just, there's no other way to say it, you know? Oh, yeah, lucky. man. How cool. Plus, doing the studio work is, is rad. Do you, do you find there's much, like, how, how, how does your approach in the studio differ from your approach live when you're mixing? Because okay, I, so, I do both also, so I'm, I'm interested to see how somebody else does it. Well, okay, so I don't do recording engineering at all. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the, the Factory Underground Studio, uh, 
like I say, it was built by my friend that I, I used to work with. He wanted me to come to Connecticut to help build this business. And um, took took me a few years to really get up to Connecticut and really see what he was building. And I, from the moment I saw it, I said, oh, I want to get involved. And um, we started, so what I do for that studio is marketing. Oh, and cool. I got involved with marketing because I was like, oh my God, this place is amazing. Nobody knows about this place. And we would, we, people would come down to the studio who were from Norwalk and say, oh my God, I'm from Norwalk. I've, my whole life, I never heard of this place. And I decided I never want to hear that again. I never want to hear somebody say I never heard of this place. So I didn't know anything about marketing, but I, be, I became the self-appointed director of marketing. Nice. So, so I never, I could be responsible for never hearing from somebody saying I never heard of this place. And, uh, you know, it's been uh, 13 years now. And has that statement died off? Everybody knows the place yeah, Nobody now? knows who it is. So they still don't know who it is? <laughs> Good directing, dude. <laughs> but hey, if it's been in business 13 years, you're doing something yeah. right. Well, here's the thing. Who would have thought starting a recording studio in 2008 was a good idea? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. And uh, here we are going strong. Um, we also have another sub-company, which is a label, a record label. It's uh, a really label services. Uh, it's not a traditional label, uh, but we do marketing for music artists. And that's really what I do about 90% of the time during the day. Marketing for music artists? Yeah. Yeah, cool, yeah. man. That's awesome. Yeah. it's uh, So it's kind of like having a multi-personality uh, disorder between my live engineering, uh, my venue operations, and my daytime job in music. Dude, that's awesome. Is there a particular genre of music that you guys are finding yourself in, or is it multi-genre? Well, on the label side, it's a lot of blues and... Uh, but a really diverse, really diverse. But on the studio side, uh, we do a lot of pop and a lot of rock. But what really, really saved us during uh, during COVID is we we really got serious with our code compliance, and we got an endorsement from Screen Actors Guild, and that opened up the door for all sorts of ADR and uh, which you get, you guys are familiar with ADR. It's like dialogue replacement for film and TV. So uh, we do a ton of ADR now for film and television during the day. Uh, uh, Sesame Street, things like that. Nice. And so so that, that, that just keeps us going. Yeah, and that's a whole, I don't know a ton about, I know a little secondhand about that whole rabbit hole of all the compliance you need to do. And like each studio has their own requirements for security because in, in this world of streaming and everything leaking, they're, it's, I mean, it could cost them millions if recordings of something they're not ready to release gets out. And it's, I mean, that's almost its own specialty at this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we put out newsletters all the time, but we're, we're never allowed to say who we're working with until it's out. So something we record today might not be commercially available for a year or more. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tempting sometimes. But at the same time, <laughs> I'd rather keep making money than. Yep, the, those cool brag points are, are not worth breaking in NDAs. <laughs> for certain, for sure. 
but yeah, the, that the the daytime business is really fun. I really love uh, all that stuff. And what's great is that I, it still gives me the flexibility to go do my venue work and still go on tour when I need to go. And uh, it, somehow I'm able to keep all this stuff, uh, you know, in the air at the same time, which is like sometimes that seems like a magic act, but I pull it off. So once once you started doing your marketing for them, like, did you seek out any sort of like training, self educate anything on marketing, or has it all been just kind of figuring it out as you go? Kind of like the way I have been as an engineer, just <laughs> just constantly researching and self self teaching, you know, asking a lot of questions, reading a lot, just self taught, and pretty much all of this stuff. Have you run across the the marketing made simple and Donald Miller and those guys yet? In your quest for marketing stuff, mm, I'm not familiar. Not to not to blow their cover, but uh, if you go to Marketing Made Simple or whatever, Dr. JJ Peterson has a killer book about how how to market and how to think about it and create a story for people. Now yeah. that I'm just giving up my whole secret to everybody that's listening, but that <clears> I mean, I'm making sure to drop dummies? it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. What'd you say, Mark? Well, sorry, was that Marketing for Dummies? No, no, <laughs> that's, no that's the, marketing that's the book sim- I need. Yeah, right. You and me both. No, it's called Marketing Made Simple, and I think the website's the same thing. It's like orange and orange and white. But I, I read a bunch of that, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm messing this up. I got to do a whole lot better." It was like how to how to create a story and bring your customers into a story. You know what I mean? Oh no, that's what I'm actually what, what I'm all about. Really, is telling the artist's story. That's yeah, what it's about. Totally. Because it, it really comes down to people don't really buy what you do; they buy why you do it. And they, yeah. if if they identify with your story, then they'll. They'll check out anything you're about, you know. Totally. Um, they'll buy anything from you if they believe in you. But totally. Yeah. Well, not from me, but. <laughs> <laughs> but from your artist, right? Yeah, from your artist. <laughs> People go, oh, I'm in a, you're in a non-profit? No, I'm in a no-profit. It's called the music business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but a no-profit. Totally. Swing and a miss. Oh, man. Too funny. Mm. I didn't mean to hijack your uh, podcast to talk. No, about no, that's music great. Oh, man, that's that's why we're here. That's that's perfect. Yeah, and I, marketing is one of those things that we don't always necessarily talk about, but I, I think it's great too because both many of our listeners have businesses that they very obviously know they need to market. You know, like that's a, I mean, Sean was saying he was in sales meetings all day today, but also even just like freelance engineers, like that's how we get work is marketing ourselves. I think that's. Mm. It's a super it's valuable thing to to dig into and think about. So I'm glad we I'm glad we have kind of ended up there. It, it's just kind of weird because like in the beginning, uh, when I was, you know, I really made every mistake you could possibly make in trying to have a music career. I really Welcome didn't know. Club, I really bro. didn't know what the hell I was doing. I really yeah. didn't. For ten years, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but at the same time, I had sound, which was my day job kind of keeping me going as a musician. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of like that now. I still have sound as my day job, except that instead of being uh, trying to be a musician, I'm trying to be a music marketer. <laughs> but I love it. You know, I, I do it because I love it. And, uh, and you know, uh, but totally. I, you know, I fortunately, I still have, I'm still able to make a living as a sound engineer. And, you know, I think, yeah, if I didn't work during the day and I just did my mixing gigs, I'd probably have a whole lot more free time. Um, but or you'd I like, have a whole bunch more mixing gigs. You'd be traveling a lot more. Like, probably. You, you know, you're, you're a talented engineer and a cool dude to hang out with. So 
you'll get hired. You just have to be gone from home a lot more, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm gone from home just enough at this point. Totally. Plus, you can just tell them, like, look, man, I, it doesn't really matter what it sounds like. Look at this beard. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> I, got, I give good beard, so that's really what's going to get me the job. This is my COVID beard. Yeah, right? <laughs> this is. This, and you're like, you know my, what? This is good. I'm, I'm going to hang on to this, and not, I'm not chopping this off after we're done here. Cause, it's my COVID beard. That's awesome. That's, I've seen many of those. I was going to say, it, look, mm. it looks like you actually trimmed it a little bit since yeah, last the, night. The oh, no. oh, oh, you know, it's just out of the frame. There it is. There yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, like, that's like Vance Powell style beard, bro. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I, I think about shaving it every single day. Don't do it. No. Don't do it. Not today. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I am at the, the cleanest shaven I've been in a few months only because I, I screwed up <laughs> entering the line the other day. I was like, ah, mm. and we're hitting a reset. Understood. Yeah. We'll be back in a week. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't go to, yeah, I'm, I'm like at that, like, you know, a clipper blade of like a one or two. I'm not nearly at, at, at Mark levels or even Sean levels of, <laughs> of beard. I, I did cut it off at one point because, uh, so I used to dye it, and it was kind of funny to talk about. But, uh, you know, when I was first trying to grow it, I was like, oh, my God, look at all this gray. It looks so old. So I started dyeing it. And then you realize you become a slave to that because now you're like, oh, shit, I'm showing my roots, you know. And I met my girlfriend. She was like, this this looks stupid. It looks so fake. You just got to stop it. So then I ended up with a line, a horizontal line from where the roots were showing, and I couldn't stand to look at it, so I just cut it off. So it would actually be twice as long now, but uh, and it would not be six colors. <laughs> you know, the, the the salt and pepper in the beard is just experience. It's not really that you're old. So that's what I at least that's where I've been going. It's like, hey man, this this gray ass beard just means I got the experience to do a good job. It's yeah. not that I'm too old to sort it out, you know? <laughs> it's dignified. <laughs> that's right, totally. <laughs> it's like I'm starting to go grayer and grayer in the temples, and I keep I keep telling myself it's 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 the Clooney look. Yeah, it's like dignified. I totally need a homie to help me double stack these subwoofers, but you know, because I that you didn't need that when you were in your twenties, but now you're like, yo, man, can I get a friend? But but I got the experience to not blow out my back on your show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, funny! Dude. Wow, we've really run the gamut. Yeah, here. Well, yeah, that's that, that's for the, dying that, that dying my beard to. Goes. Oh yeah, dude, squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but that's so, probably a, that's. Sorry, go ahead, Andy. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, buddy. oh no. I was just gonna say. I know we we briefly touched on like the theater you work you work at, and your yeah, your title is officially production manager, right? How does yes. like where do the, where do the duties fall into, and like even like what 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 scale theater? We like tell tell us a little more about that. So the the beauty of the venue is that it's about 150 feet from my other business. And what then, a brutal commute. How do you yeah, deal with a commute like that, dude? That's so oh, it's terrible. But here's, <laughs> here's the funny part. For two years during COVID, I lived in a house that was directly between both of those places. Oh, my God, dude. So I would literally roll out of bed. And then during the, the parking lot directly outside my house was where we had outside festivals during COVID. So literally, I had a festival grounds directly outside my house which was also directly outside the recording studio and behind the theater where I was production manager. Winning. Winning. It was a, gr a really great situation. I'm um, sorry, you don't have to fight with the neighbors. No. And really, it got to a point where I said, you know what? There wasn't a lot of work in, in Norwalk, where I live now. 
but it was close to, you know, this is where the studio is. And I got tired of trekking off to New York and New Jersey to do all these AV, corporate AV type gigs. And I just said, you know what? I'm just going to double down on my investment in Norwalk and try to really develop work here and not travel as much. At least not, you know, I'll go to Israel, but I don't want to go to the city, you know? Yeah, like driving sucks, but I'll fly. Like, Yeah, but I'll fly. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and then uh, the, uh, the theater at that time, the Wall Street Theater, was at that point boarded up. And we knew that it was being, there were plans to revitalize it and restore it. And I just thought to myself, that's going to be the place for me to work. It's so close to where, you know, my other gig is. It just, and I just, you know, I just put myself in there from the moment they opened. I was in there, you know, networking and became the guy. And I've been there since they reopened in 2016. And I've mixed about 90% of the shows that they've had there. And, um, it's been a great. It's, it's a great size venue because it it maxes out at a thousand with standing room, but usually this shows are like four hundred to seven hundred people, and bands playing in that size room are mostly not touring with engineers, so I get to mix you know a predominant amount of the bands, and that's really fun. Um, and uh, this year, the theater was sold. It was just recently purchased by the New Haven Performing Arts Center, and they also have the College Street Music Hall, the Westville Music Bowl, and uh, another place called the Space Ballroom. So uh, their management team is amazing, and now I'm technically working for them, and uh, working with them has been great. Uh, it's turning it. It's going to become a, a really, really formidable venue over the next couple of years. I think. Dude, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's I. I actually the very first concert I went to see as an audience member post pandemic was at the Westville Music Bowl. Uh, mm. Went to see some Lake Street Dive. Yeah, uh, I haven't been there, but I've heard it's it's a great. They only do shows there in like, you know, the warmer months because it's outdoors. Yep. Yeah, because that used to be was it a tennis venue? I think tennis venue, New yeah. Haven. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, is that close to you? Is that a long drive, Andy? Uh, it's like an hour and a half ish. It's to Norwalk. I'm trying uh, to think. From the city, is, Norwalk is only about 45 yeah. minutes to yeah, an hour. Well, I'm in Westchester, so it might actually even be closer. Yeah, closer. Damn, uh, dude. I feel like I looked so this up one time because I was like, oh, I should hit Mark up if he ever, if he ever needs anything. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm doing all the labor scheduling at this point. So if you, <laughs> if you want to come work with me, you can. I'd love to have you there. Yeah, it looks like it's yeah about like a 15-minute drive from my house, so... Bro, yeah, my shop yeah. was a 50-minute drive until a few weeks <laughs> ago. Like, everything is so close over there. Holy crap. Yeah. Well, here, why don't we do the important question? This is one of the one of the classic questions on this podcast that we've sort of fallen away from doing lately. But uh, we're coming to visit you in Norwalk. Uh, we're coming to play at the Wall Street. Where are you taking us for dinner? Where am I taking you for dinner? Uh, what genre of food do you prefer? Any. The good kind. Any. So... Lately, I've been eating at this restaurant called Alma's Bistro, which is uh, a couple doors down from the theater. And they, uh, I'd say they're a Latino food, but they're a mix of different cultures and different, you know, ethnic from South America. Um, so really, really good food overall. Uh, I probably eat there six times a month. And, uh, but our our latest bar to to 
started in our area is my new favorite place called the Flying Scotsman. And that's where we would definitely have to go for drinks. Um, they, the guy is a, a true Scot, can only understand half of what he says, but everything he says sounds cool. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, I've never been a Scotch drinker, but he's definitely getting me, uh, he's schooling me in the complexities right. of the... Well, next, next time you're in the city, then I'll t- we'll we'll get you out to my whiskey bar and and, and expand. That, that sounds more. good. Right of course, now now I've got the old Robin Williams, different cultures and how they are drinking going through my head, and he's like, if you know you you ever go drinking with a Scotsman, that's an adventure because you can't understand them before they start drinking. <laughs> it's true. You start to understand more as you. <laughs> Yeah, I think the three drinks. And eventually, you know, you get enough drinks into them and they just start having vowel movements. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes why? (laughs) By the end of the night, you guys sound alike. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's funny. All right, last thing, as long as as we're going to the old classics and we're almost right about at the hour mark, why don't I'll I'll throw this one out to you too, Mark. If there's one thing you know now that you could go back and tell early career, Mark, uh, what would that be? How to be on time. It's something I learned really the hard way. My first touring job was working for the Big Apple Circus. And I was a lighting guy, actually. I didn't know what I was doing. I really, really lied to get the job, to be honest with you. Um, and I was chronically late at that point in my life. And I worked with an all-female electric crew, which was really interesting. And the master electrician was a total, uh, I don't know what the politically correct word is, but she was tough. She was tough. If you were five seconds late for a dimmer check, she would berate you in front of everybody. I feel like that's a hard ass no matter what we're talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. She'd either find, she'd find you or she, she would find you in terms of working on a day off. And so the first month, I never had a day off. And it, I got so paranoid about being late that I would wake up on time without an alarm clock. And that was kind of how I got it together. And then later on, as, as a person who was hiring other people, when you have people who are chronically late and you realize, man... This guy is just wasting my time. I look back and I remember I was that guy. I was wasting people's time. And and you really just cannot get ahead in this business unless you get that together. And um, you know, you gotta really respect people's time. You gotta be early and uh, be prepared. And yep. you know, it took me a long time. It, I don't say a long time, it took me my twenties to really figure that out. Totally. And, and those, yeah, those, that's good advice because those people don't work for me very long. No, you know, when they, when they myself show up either. When they're always late and you're like, hey man, call time was whatever. Like, it's not a suggestion. You know what I mean? The rest of us are here ready to work and you're just strolling in with a giant cup of fancy coffee. Like, you even had time to stop for coffee and didn't get time for stop for coffee about call time. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And then and now, didn't even bother to call and get coffee for the rest of us. You know what, man? Today's your last day. <laughs> After you get the coffee order. Yeah, like you're late and yeah. you're a dick because you didn't bring yeah. coffee for everybody? Screw you, dude. <laughs> and and we, all, we all know that traffic on 95 in the Northeast Corridor is terrible. It's terrible for everybody. No, I'm but, not talking about yeah. somebody who was late you one know what time, I mean? dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, but like, 
when people say, oh, the traffic was just terrible, you know, we, we all know it's terrible. So yeah. you have to take that into account and leave that much earlier. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you're right. It was terrible today because it's a day that ends in day. Right. It's a day that ends in Y. We knew that, right? Yeah. But well, at the same time, like, I don't, I'm not trying to say that nobody could ever be late ever because th- there, are, I mean, life happens, dude. You know what I mean? If it's like once in a while, somebody's late, like, dude, it, it life, life freaking happens. But we're talking about we, the chronically, right? You're talking about people that are just like, not one flying fuck to the calendar or the clock. And they're like, I don't know, man. I just thought I'd get here whenever I got here and, you know, got my morning routine going. And here I am 45 minutes late or 20 minutes late every, mm-hmm. every single day, not one time, you know? Well, I mean, I do know people that have never been late. You know, like I have a guy. He's my main, uh, I mean, he's an A1. You know, he could be front of house for anybody, but he's most often my monitor monitor engineer. I'm sort of swallowing my words. So uh, never been late a day in his life. Always early, always on time, always prepared. And just, I love people like that. You know, I aspire to be that guy. So, and what's uh, his name and telephone number so I can call him and fly him out? His here? name is. <laughs> I'm just kidding, dude. I'm just kidding. No, he's Dan Monahan, actually. Yeah, D- Dan Monahan. Uh, we and we've toured all over the world together. Uh, dude, that's you know. awesome. Yeah, he and I have actually done a lot of touring together with Armed Forces Entertainment. Oh, cool! Uh, so that's another period of my life where uh, we we toured with uh, a band performing for U.S. Armed Forces all over the world. How uh, cool, we did dude. 20 different countries. We got a couple guys in our in our community that work for the armed for like for the marine bands or whatever that that was is that that same kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. It look they look like cool shows. Some of them are super complex and uh like super cool looking shows, man. Was that was, was that cool. a fun period? Yeah, it was really cool because very educational because you know, everybody knows the USO. But the USO is you know, when Bob Hope or Kid Rock goes to place for the troops and they're playing in a very safe green zone area. But where I was working for was Armed Forces and Entertainment, which is part of the, the military. And you're playing for troops on sometimes forward operating bases and you're playing in, uh, in real war zones. And um, uh, I, I've, I, I never went to Iraq and Afghanistan, but some of the guys that that I tour with uh, did go there. You know, we actually took one of the bands that I worked with a lot, uh, released a documentary in, uh, on their touring for the troops in Iraq and Afghanistan in 2006 and seven. And Dan Monahan was one of the guys touring with them. So it's a great time, great period. I, I went to Iceland, I went to Europe, I went all over the world, but fortunately never, never in a war zone. It's apparently Iceland month uh, here here on Signal to Noise. We were just talking about my vacation to Iceland last week. Wow. Um, yeah, we don't have a base there anymore, uh, but I was lucky I got to go there. Nice. Dude, how cool. Yeah. Yeah, I probably did 20 countries with the military. Yeah. Any, any time you can get paid to see the world is, is pretty it's cool. Always, I mean, I always wanted to see the world as a musician, but, you know... Uh, when I got the the first time I got offered to go to a, a tour as an engineer, I was like, "Oh wait, you're gonna pay for me to go here?" God, and then pay awesome. me to mix. I mean, pay me to mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I got this theory. Let me run it by you and see what you think. Mm-hmm. I have this theory that, and it goes along with, but don't be a dick, right? It's way harder to be a dick if you're well traveled because you've met a lot of people and a lot of cultures 
and you realize that we're all just freaking people doing people stuff. You know what I mean? Would would you say that that is you been your experience too? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, that that goes back to empathy, you know. And you, you realize at the end of the day that all over the world, that you know, people are people, you know, famous or not. Totally. Totally. You know, on stage and then you know behind behind stage, all the same. Yeah, we're all people. just trying to figure out where the good tacos are and how to get a cold freaking <laughs> drink. You know what I mean? Like- <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why I always say, like, if you know how to say cheers, uh, please, and thank you, and where's the bathroom in every language, the, you're golden. Yeah, you know? totally. Uh, the coolest base I went to was in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It was called Diego Garcia. Uh, it's a tiny little island in the middle of the ocean that uh, it's, I don't even know if it's on a map, but Dude, it's very cool. cool. It's a tiny little That's some coral, top gun coral shit reef. right there. <laughs> yeah, it was top gun. <laughs> yeah, very very cool. That's, no, that's, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess that kind of brings us to a natural stopping point. I don't know if there's anything, any other last bits of advice or anything you want to share, Mark. Or I, if not, I think uh, being on time is certainly a great way to to wrap up and be on time with the end of the show too. So, but yeah. any, anything else you want to add in other than that, or shall we leave it there? Mm, man, I, f- I feel like we could talk uh, for hours, you know? Yeah, but, uh, that's always the the danger with these. So, yeah, why don't we wrap it up there, and then we'll see. Maybe we'll have you back on another time, and we'll dig into more stories. Or I keep saying we got to do some roundtable episodes where we bring in like, some new folks, some old guests, and just like get a bunch of us going and, and shooting the shit. Like Maybe do another live episode soon, because yeah. that, fu- that was fun back in December. Flying by the seat of our pants there. So, what do you mean there? We're always flying by the seat of our pants, bro. <laughs> yeah, but at least we've got we've got we've got a reaper session in between us and the listeners when we do yeah, it. <laughs> when we do a normal episode, when we're live streaming, it's we're going full Bill O'Reilly there. Fair enough, dude. Fair enough. Well, cool, dude. That's the pod. Thank you, Alan Heath and RCF for supporting us. You know, talking all kinds of nonsense online and. Thanks, Mark, for coming and hanging out and sharing your awesome stories and cool experience and that great freaking beard, dog. (laughs) Thank you, man. It was a pleasure. I really had a good time. All right, bye, y'all. See you next time.